everybody. Welcome to the Whatever Floats Your Boat podcast. Sierra and Billy here from Tula's Endless Summer, and today we're here to talk to you about things we wish we knew. Things we wish we knew before we started living on boats, before we started sailing, before we started working on boats. Uh, yeah, all of the above, really. I mean, we. So, what's our experience? We've had. We've been. I've been living on boats for like what ten years. Some of that was like part time in the summer, and then like the past six years has been pretty much full time for me, and then. Pretty much the same for you, almost. Yeah, so I've been living on boats for over five years now, so I think I think we got a lot of things that we learned along the way, right? Yeah, we have a lot of good experience uh, about living on boats, and now especially sailing, and, you know, we've been on a trawler, we've been on this older catamaran, we were on a small monohull, so in different areas, and then especially doing a lot of work on the boats as well. So we're going to try to share some of this experience with you, with you and just share things that we wish we knew when we started and, and stuff like that. Um, now we have a bunch of things written down in no specific order. Um, so we'll probably jump around a bit, but um, Let's start and with it, it, it'll be, some of them are a little more general, some of them are pretty specific. So yeah, you wanna start? Um, yeah, so the first thing we have written down is simple is better. And how did we come up with that conclusion? Well, and what do we mean by that? Also, so like I said, we do a ton of work on our boats, and in doing that work, we have the opportunity to kind of change things or redesign things or... And try something new, maybe something that hasn't been done before, and we kind of learn whether that was a good idea or a bad idea. Yeah, so our example with Simple is Better, our main example that we thought of is our backstays. So with this catamaran, we got new sails a couple years ago, and we got a big square top mainsail, and that is a faster, more efficient sail, especially for a lightweight multi-hull. Um, but our boat has a conventional masthead rig. So in order to make that sail work on our boat, we had to change our backstays into running backstays so that we can put the leeward backstay, you know, pull it forward out of the way of the sail. That way the top of this high roach sail won't interfere or the backstay won't interfere with that. So if you're not a sailor, the backstays, he's talking about they're normally fixed structures like you can tighten them or loosen them unconventional rigs yes unconventional especially conventional monohull rigs on catamarans they don't really have backstays they're more like side shrouds that come back and support the mast um on the aft side of it that way if that makes sense and our rig is more like a conventional uh monohull rig yeah. so instead of having these two fixed backstays we wanted to make them so they could literally move forward so they would be completely out of the way of the sail when we tacked or jibed. yeah and one at a time because one always has to be tensioned to help hold the mast up so anyway it in changing our rig like that it made things more complicated on our boat we have some extra lines and especially when we maneuver our boat and we tack it, when we're sailing it's just sierra and i so when we tack it's an extra thing to do. We have to release the backstay on one side, or we have to tighten the backstay on one side, and then release it on the other side at all while we're tacking. And we already have, like a lot of modern catamarans have a self-tacking jib. We still have to tack our Genoa across the front of the boat as well. So we kind of have a lot going on, and that just adds to it. So that's just one example of us not keeping it so simple. And I don't want to admit that I would do it differently because I really like the the square top mainsail and the performance it adds, especially but, in like light to medium wind. But if we had to do it again, we probably would have not changed the shape of our sail. Yeah, I mean, would we have sacrificed that performance for that? Yeah, I guess because I don't think it made a, a big enough of a difference to equate to the difficulty we have. I don't know. I do in that ten to twelve, ten to fifteen knot wind range we get going definitely quicker than we would have with a regular sail and more than that then yeah because we reef at 15 knots anyway at four, 14 15 knots potentially yeah. yeah so the main the main part that we learned here is we went a little bit more um performance based which made it a little bit more technical which now makes it a little bit more difficult to um, sail our boat and we have more lines that we have to worry about more lines we could possibly trip over so basically the takeaway from that is just keep in mind the value of simplicity and um, 
keeping things as simple as possible to accomplish what you know what that task is for that thing. I'm trying to think of another example on our boats because I've definitely run into this before where it takes multiple steps to do something. Maybe not even if we're sailing, just like you know living around the boat. Um, things like when if you're working on a hatch, like say an interior hatch or storage compartment. Um, if you're already working on it, consider adding some sort of um, like brace, right? Like, because every time we go under our settee, we have to like hold up our yeah. things. And but but if you are working on that anyway, and you can just add a brace, then it makes life so much simpler because you don't have to hold that thing up while you're accessing your storage compartment. Little things like that, you can apply it anywhere. Yeah, totally agree. So simple is definitely better. All right. So the next thing we have on our list is fix things the correct way first um yeah and for us my main example in that is when we were on the trawler and we had a lot of rotted wood on our um what would you call that the top of the aft cabin well no the top deck the uh the the aft part of the flybridge deck and there was a lot of rotted wood i was in school billy was full-time teaching kiteboarding and we were trying to fix up this boat so we were trying to figure out ways to do everything a little bit faster, a little bit easier than maybe rip the whole deck apart. So we found a product called, do you even remember what it's called? Yeah, uh, it's like Git Rot or it's penetrating epoxy. And I'm there, sure it could work in, it many, does work. in many different instances. Yes. But for this specific example, we spent, um, you spent, you did this, a lot of time drilling all these holes, penetrating the epoxy, and then I think you even started repainting. Maybe. I don't know. Only to find out that, yeah, it worked for maybe a couple days, but after that, all the other areas was still soft and rotted, and this quick fix ended up taking us more time and more money because we had to go back and fix it the correct way, rip up the whole deck, put in new wood, repaint it, re and redo all that stuff. So Now, let me clarify all this. So, the reason that that deck got soft was just leaks through the stanchion bases, like how a lot of decks get soft. And let me also say that that penetrating epoxy does definitely work in some instances. Like, people, you know, they praise it. Um, the wood, the deck that we were working on was just too far gone. It was just too moist throughout. And it was too soft throughout and then on top of that it was like there was a hollow layer underneath that deck so the deck was pretty much set on kind of struts so there was a hollow layer underneath that deck so like if I drilled holes too deep it just went through the whole deck and now we had this you know six inch gap that was underneath it and the epoxy just dripped through yeah it didn't work for that application and but it's a learning experience because it could work in some applications like that but and I don't think we meant it as a super quick shortcut fix. We just thought that this would work. But in our experience, we learned that, well, it was just too far gone. It was too wet. It was too moist, uh, too rotted. So our better bet was just to have ripped up the whole deck in the first place and replaced the whole deck, um, which is what we did. Yeah. And that worked out really well. Yeah. So... In the end, it was better for us just to redo that from scratch. But another example I have is on our current boat, again, we had a lot of rotted wood and we have, how many hatches up there do we have? Three or four open hatches and they have lips and around those lips and around all of the hatches was rotted again. So we ripped it all up, put in new wood and we um, fiberglassed it and epoxied it and painted it. But around these lips, we were trying to do everything good, but we also wanted to get sailing on this new boat that we had just had. So maybe we tried to do everything a little bit too quickly in that circumstance. And the way we laid the fiberglass, right, or the epoxy, yeah, so I pretty much tried to, uh, these lips have edges on them, and instead of routing and rounding the edges and folding a piece of fiberglass over these lips, I tried to butt up... Um, cut pieces. Yeah, kind of cut and butt up uh, the two pieces of fiberglass at a 90 degree angle, like right on the lip, and it just didn't, uh, they just didn't seal well that way, so a crack formed around that same lip, and um, we did it again in... a you know, the right way in two areas. But again, just a learning experience. I don't think we were necessarily trying to take shortcuts there. It was just, I think I just didn't have a router and I thought, hey, this would work, you know, and it didn't. So 
another learning experience. I don't know, like, if you consider that, like, a shortcut. I'm not saying it was a shortcut. I'm just saying that was kind of a big project, so maybe we should have thought about it a little bit longer and put a little bit more effort into the final fix. It did last us, like, what, six and a, uh, seven months before we got a crack? And to wrap, I mean, I guess to wrap the whole thing up, like, fix things right the first time, there's a balance to that, too, because you can go crazy getting things just completely, absolutely perfect, like a perfectly smooth finish on your varnish and paint, and there's something to be said about that craftsmanship, um, but... You could spend your whole life in a boatyard. You could spend your whole life in the boat. You're trying to get every little thing perfect. And I think we have a good balance of um, fixing things so they're really solid. And, of course, we just gave you two examples of didn't of things that didn't quite work or didn't quite go perfect in the long run. But they did the second time around. Yeah, and, uh, like, most of the things we do are really solid for the long run. So um, it, some of the things, like, I'm looking at our hard bimini that we made for this boat, for example. It's not a Bristol finish. We can still see a slight pattern of fiberglass, um, on the under, underside of it. Um, ideally, that would be, like, super smooth and faired and glossy, and that's good craftsmanship, but, I mean, it's a solid thing, and from 10 feet back, you don't even notice the pattern of glass in it, and, and it is super, super functional, so... So fix things right the first time, but realize that balance of fixing it quick enough so you're not, so you get to enjoy the boat that you're on. Yeah, and also, um, yeah, and just make sure things are strong and structurally strong. And uh, when we were on Andy Shell's podcast, uh, he said they have a phrase that says uh, shellfish. The meaning that, you know, as in a fishing boat, you know, if it's strong and structural, she'll go out and fish. She'll be good for fishing. And from 20 feet away from the boat, you won't notice that it's not a, a Bristol finish. Um, it's just a funny saying. I like that. Anyway. All right. What about, here's one, backup plans. So I think we've gotten much better at that this year. So just always having a, a, a backup plan or a plan B and even a plan C and D. And realizing that when you make a plan and you set a destination that you're gonna get to, you don't have to get there when you planned you would because maybe the weather changed, maybe something breaks, a trillion things could happen and if you have that point set in your mind, you have to get there, you have to get there, you have to get there, it could make your sail more comfortable, it could make it not safe and- Less comfortable you mean? It could make it not comfortable. Oh. Uh, yep. And yeah. So, yeah, so this year, and it could feel like a failure, like if you don't, if you do change your plans and get there. Whereas, like, yeah, when in sailing, you should always just have multiple options. You know, maybe your first one is even a reach, but then you know your plan B and plan C are safety options that are easy. You know, whether it's a destination or something easy to get to. Yeah. So this year we have sailed the farthest we have yet. We left Florida, did all the Bahamas, and all the way down to Gr Grenada. So a lot of that was sailing into the wind and we had these points for the first bit of our trip and we were like we need to make it there by this time and this date and a couple days into it I think we were learning backup plans are a very very good thing because if you don't make your plan A but you get to plan B hey it was a good day yeah yeah and you can give us an example of when you were on Tula. Yeah. yeah, so I learned this real quick in sailing on my first sailboat, Tula, a little 26-foot pocket cruiser. And I fixed her up for a year. And when I took her on our shakedown trip all the way up to New England, I went from Long Island, New York, all the way up through and to Nantucket and then back. And that was kind of a shakedown trip, see what else I need to do on the boat before I went further. Um, and on the way back on that trip, on the way back to Long Island, I was sailing close hauled and you know perfect angle straight into Montauk Harbor and then just as I passed Block Island uh, the currents there started to hit me in a, in a negative way so I was getting uh, blown and drifted way off course and I tacked and that didn't work and I tried to motor straight into it and my only goal was to get into Montauk Harbor and I was set on it so I was motoring just into this like four or five foot steep snot and it was just I was staring at the Montauk lighthouse for like 10 hours at just holding that tiller and it was I was just dead set on it and it was so silly because I, I sh there was no reason for me to be in Montauk like I literally had no nothing to be there for um, I just had it in my mind that that was my goal 
in reality, I should have just turned around and went to Block Island. I could have sailed straight into Block, Har Block Island Harbor, downwind, nice easy sail, got a good night's sleep early, and then woke up and figure out, you know, the currents and, you know, a better time to go or whatever the next day. And, yeah, that's when I learned that lesson. Like, just have a plan B, have a plan C that's easy to get to or do. And, and we do that in our planning as well. Like, we'll plan on very conservative speeds. We can easily average seven, eight knots in this boat sometimes, and, but we'll still plan at five knots. Yeah, we always do because we know, like, yeah, the wind could die. Yeah, like, again, a trillion things could happen, and if you're planning to get to a point at eight knots and you only average six, like, that's multiple hours you're going to be late. You could be arriving somewhere at night, and it's just... It's better to play on the safe side with that one. Yeah. And something that kind of goes along with this topic, I learned, or I read, this year on our way down here. Um, what was the name of that book? Um, A Gentleman's Guide to Passages South so by, that, or, yeah, right? That's it? Yeah, by, by Bruce, Bruce Van, Zandt. Van Zandt. And that was a great book on helping us get um, down to Grenada. Uh, taking the thorny path route, meaning island hopping to windward. Yeah, and we, so we live on a boat and we're in all these beautiful places and we have a lot of family and friends that want to come visit. But one of my favorite, favorite things I read in that book was if someone's coming to visit, they can pick a place or a time, but they can't pick both because we are working on weather. We are working on a boat. We are trying to get to certain places at certain times to be safe ourselves. So when you're trying to plan for other people to come in, it's not really possible for them to pick both. Yeah, yeah. And and I think we've known that and we've still made like they say you should never have a schedule on a sailboat. And it's true, but like in practicality you like it's hard to live a life without a yeah. schedule completely so you really do to, to some extent but we've been trying just to plan way way ahead well we Stephen just met up with my cousin Stephen and Kelly and they let us know plenty in advance hey we have this date to this date where there's a possibility that we could come see you guys where's the best place so we looked at those dates and we picked the absolute I think like farthest one and we knew we would be an anti we were just ultra ultra conservative with mm -hmm. that um, and, and that's what works. Like, you just got to be super conservative. Like, we were in Antigua a month before they arrived. Yep. And we knew, like, we had backup. We knew that we had a lot of online work, work to do. We had some boat work we could do, and then we could explore Antigua. Like, that could easily suck up a month while we're waiting. And it did. It worked out just perfect, I think. Yeah. Um, but if you, don't, if you don't follow that saying, you end up making these plans, and you have people coming to visit on one island and you are on another island and let's say you don't get weather to go it's going to stress you out it could make you sail in unsafe conditions because yeah. you want to get there for them so yeah. and pick the place or the time but not both we recently had oh, also let's like when your family came to visit us in puerto rico that was kind of an instance where they they kind of picked like they were waiting you know your family's on a schedule because they work your mom works as a principal she's on school schedule she only has certain um days off out of the year for vacation so that was the time they were able to pick the time we didn't know exactly where we were going to be and puerto rico was a conservative place for us to meet them but we were still kind of on a schedule to to try to get south as quick as we can so it wasn't like the most ideal place mostly because we couldn't check out the area in ponce where we were going to be in puerto rico um and yeah it was something it worked out all right um but it, it probably wasn't their first choice of vacation if if we all had a choice um but they were able to pick the time and that's when we were able to hang out with them and meet them on vacation and um, just not the, you know, most ideal place. Yeah, so have family and friends that will work with you. <laughs> and yeah, and that's the easy thing to explain to your friend and family. If you just have it set in stone, listen, like, we'd love to meet you. Um, you can pick the time or the place, you know, as long as it's relatively on our path, but we can't pick both. It just doesn't work that way. And at first it might offend them a little bit, but the more they, like, you talk to them and let you know, and you let them know, like, hey, we're in this place, like, we're waiting on weather in order for us to get to our next destination, yeah. they'll, um, they'll get it. Like, if they're following your exact schedule and they know, like, what's going on, I think they'll, they'll kind of understand. Like, oh, I thought you were going to this island today. Nope, the weather changed. We can't move from where we are, so we are delayed. Yeah. About availability of things in the Caribbean. So you you wrote this point down, and you wish you knew that how available things are here. 
Yeah, so we are super familiar with going over to the Bahamas, and there is, like, you can get grocery in the Bahamas, especially in the big islands like Nassau and Freeport, and then all the little islands have, like, little markets and groceries and stuff. Not a ton of fresh vegetables, but, like, you can find it, and you can find everything you need. But then, like, boat supplies are pretty scarce, pretty expensive. If you have to get boat supplies mailed in to the it's Bahamas, it's expensive. crazy expensive. Like. 40% tax on some things. It's just unreal. I think even more than that on yeah. some things. Like Nassau, Grand Bahama, um, you can get stuff there and probably Georgetown, but other islands, you either have to get it shipped from those islands or you have to get it shipped to Fort Lauderdale. So everything's expensive. But in the further down the Caribbean, that's not so much the case. Yeah. So once we got to Dominican Republic, we realized like stuff, you can get pretty much everything. Stuff is relatively cheap. Um, I mean, we got this canvas made for maybe half the price it would have cost us in Florida. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where it began. And then Puerto Rico, same thing. Not a ton of, like, very boat sailing specific stuff in those places. I mean, there is, but not, like, in a high density. But once we got to Grenada, I was, like, real impressed with this small Car Caribbean island. Like, how many resources they had there in terms of marine plywood and epoxies and paints and all that stuff i mean even sailing hardware and if they didn't have it there they could get it there pretty easily and for not that expense not that much money there's two big chains of marine stores throughout the caribbean um budget marine and island water world and they have different locations um but anyway the most impressed i was with where we just were in saint martin mm -hmm. and they had everything and it was like i would say it was relatively cheap it was not more money than the states maybe some things were but i'd say some things were probably less it's a duty-free country um so yeah it was just that's what i wish i knew i wish i knew how how many supplies and resources there were throughout some of these islands in the caribbean why because you wouldn't have brought so many like because we brought a lot of tools we brought a lot of spares and spares are always good yeah. but what give me an example of the but, but like we also brought like some paints and some wood trim that I didn't quite finish and like just a bunch of these raw materials that I just wanted to have on board just in case I wanted to do do our trim in some spots which which isn't completely necessary you know and carrying all this stuff around and that we don't have to um I mean on some boats it doesn't really matter but on this boat we really don't like to have extra things that we don't need it's just extra weight and takes up space so um if we knew we could get like all this nice wood that we could cut into trim in St. Martin I definitely wouldn't have bought it in florida and dragged it around with us this whole time and i think if we had known all the available resources in grenada we probably would have planned to get the boat hauled and work on the bottom there so we, we didn't really have that in mind we had grenada in mind for a time to work on videos edit and get a lot of computer work done where in reality we could have been doing a lot of boat work because so much was available yeah definitely and and that's another thing i i think i wish we knew is like how um, relatively affordable it was rel too and yeah and especially yeah getting the boat hauled and stored in a yard and stuff like I'll, most of these places are cheaper than where you know where we get it hauled in Florida so that's another thing for sure and Grenada is like pretty cheap but not the cheapest in the Caribbean like even uh, St. Martin and then Cariacou in Grenada just north and Trinidad like those are all they can be really cheap places to get hauled and they still have all the resources you need so yeah some other things i wish we knew but there are there are a few things that i wish we had brought before we left because they were cheaper in the states than they are in the caribbean for example like flags so each country that you go into they request that you fly a courtesy flag and some it's usually their flag sometimes it's their flag mixed with a little bit of another design but on Amazon, you can get a whole pack of those for, I think, like 50 countries for around like $120. In the Caribbean, it is $20 per flag. Pretty much, yeah. You can find them a little bit cheaper and then a little bit more expensive. Yeah, yeah so I wish I had known that. I wish we had bought that before we left, but it's okay. Like, we got some really cool handmade flags and we supported a couple local um, flag makers. And then uh, the Doyle Guides. We ended up getting really really lucky and finding a whole set at a book exchange but again they're cheaper well our friend ryan gave us a whole set first and then we found some more at that book exchange in really good shape yep and and yeah 
so yeah, the Doyle guidebooks are the guidebooks we kind of use throughout. They're the known guidebooks throughout the Caribbean, um, and oh, they're really good. While we're talking about products, one more thing. So as you guys know, we do a lot of work on the computer, and in the Caribbean, a lot of the outlets are... They're oh, not European. a standard American they're, outlet. Yeah, they're European uh, outlets. So I think like 220 volts or something. It just takes a certain plug. Yeah, so if you go to a coffee, sh coffee shop, let's say, to like download movies or work on the computer or whatever, you need an adapter for your American charger. So most of the time, yeah. Yeah, so they're, they're cheap on Amazon. They're cheap everywhere. And you can get them in these countries too. But like, yeah, just something to have with you is, you know, it's good to have. And if you're dependent on shore power, same thing goes for there. A lot of the marinas, they only have one certain dock. Oh, yeah, there was only one certain dock that took the, the American voltage. And, and I, I don't know specifically what it was. I'm sure it's the same sort of thing. It's like, you know, 220 volts or something, certain hertz hurts i'm not sure I, we don't even yeah, have shore power, power on this boat but that is something we figured out one hack a flag hack that one of our friends did was it luke maybe so all these courtesy flags that you're supposed to have in these countries one of our friends i think i forget if it was luke or not um they just printed out the flags uh, no was it marty and rachel maybe they just printed out these flags on like this like plastic paper and they said it let and then they like put grommets in it still it was like a piece of oh, plastic, pretty much. You could probably do that, like, laminate it, too. Yeah, or laminate it. And <laughs> they duct said, tape. I mean, clear tape. No, the, well, these guys did it. They it actually printed it on a piece of sort of semi-stiff plastic. And they huh. said it, it held up so well. And when there's no wind, like, it still sticks out, you know? That's interesting. So a little hack for you guys, maybe. <laughs> Another hack. <laughs> if you're going to redo your bottom anytime soon, I suggest dark bottom paint. Why? Because... All of our boats besides this one have always had black bottom paint. That's just what we've had and I never thought twice about it. This boat, our cat, has royal, is that the color you would call it? Royal blue bottom paint. And it, the first month, like, it was so pretty, it was different, it was beautiful. But now we're realizing that stuff can be seen way easier on lighter colored bottom paint. So here, it's been over a year, we need to get our bottom redone but in the meantime we're kind of scraping it every what two weeks and we get this lime green slime right above our waterline and it is so noticeable and i've noticed other boats in the anchors they have darker bottom paint and they have the same slime but it's really hard to see so that's just one thing that's been nagging me for so a while that i i kind of i don't know i don't agree like you're nitpicky on this just because you hate that green slime thing so much like i think bottom paint is kind of more determined on the quality rather than the color but your point is that this green slime thing has has been growing on the water line and you've noticed that you can't see it as prevalent on these black bottom painted boats yeah so yeah if All right. i were gonna repaint this i'm gonna paint it black next thing okay so some of these are little hacks that we have found so just in terms of like cleaning and maintenance and stuff yeah um okay so if you're using your dinghy all the time it's probably in the water a lot and it probably gets a lot of slime scum and that slime scum is so hard to get off and we've been battling that for quite some time now and who told you uh, the guy, the guy the other day just saw cleaning his dinghy he was using a magic racer and he said it's the best thing he's found and oh. we have tried everything. And we tried to be as green as as humanly possible, but some boat cleaning products are very harsh. And even like harsh chemicals wouldn't get that off. And then Billy did like two strokes with a magic eraser and it was literally like magic. Yeah, it, I mean, in some parts. It wasn't, look, it's not, it, it still took some work. But it was one of the best thing, it was the best thing we found on the dinghy so far, like yeah. on the bottom of the dinghy. Um, our friends also used on-off hole cleaner, and they said that's the best thing they found on the dinghy. But that's a super harsh chemical. Yeah, it's so pretty I'd harsh. It's just use, an acid. Yeah. yeah. I'd much rather use magic racer, and, and that magic racer is also really good for the. It works everywhere. Um, the ICW scum line, they call it. Yeah, like so, like the scum line you'll get above your bottom paint on the hull. Sorry, we got some construction going on in the background. You sometimes get like brown mustache on your bow, just, you know, above the bottom paint on your hull, and the Magic Eraser is great for that stuff. It works to clean um, vinyl, like outdoor cushions, if they're white, it works to clean. Okay, so where we're sitting right now, you can't see it, but we have non-skid, and right 
besides the non-skid is just a clear piece and it gets really dirty because we step on it a lot but that magic eraser takes out that dirty scum like so yeah. easy it's just a really good cleaner especially for white stuff next cleaner thing you have on here is a uh, vinegar okay the toilets the toilets are the heads. heads whatever heads toilets whatever you want to call them they are nasty creatures and you get a calcium buildup especially when you have a uh, salt water flush yeah and again we tried everything i went on facebook i asked people what the best thing was and we got so many different answers but at the end of the day vinegar is the best cleaner for the heads yeah so you, you, you just pour some vinegar in in the head and it'll kind of dissolve this like calcium buildup yeah so what i learned is you pour like uh, however much you need in order to cover that scum line, let it sit for 30 minutes and then do one pump like every five minutes and it'll also clean all of your pipes. Yeah, because that scum will get, or that uh, calcium deposit will get all through the pipes and stuff as well. Yep. Alright, next thing we have, now we've been cruising, like we said, through the Bahamas and through the Caribbean this season and sun is a huge factor in just, you know, the toll it takes on us but also the heat, you know, it, it emits on the boat and stuff like that. So when you're getting ready to cruise or as you're working on your boat and things like that, don't underestimate shade. Yeah, the more shade, the better. And we really like, so when we first got this boat, we built this hard top bimini. It's a like four by eight, pretty much. Cause there was no shade. There was Yeah, there was there no was shade back here. Yeah, at all. So that has been amazing. And then since then we got this other piece of shade. It's a piece of canvas um, made in Dominican Republic. And that's been a game changer as well. But we wish we even had more, like some more shade off the side of the boat. But um, we did find on Amazon, they have, I think it was $35. And we, I think it was 12 by 12. I don't know what material. It's like this, like it. it's like polypropylene, I guess. It's like a it's a plastic mesh material, and it is so cheap and has been working so well as like temporary shade on the boat. Yeah, and that is probably one of the closest to the top best Amazon purchases we have made. We got one for on top of the trampolines. We set up like a little tent area, and we also have one back here, and we put it down and it blocks the sun when it's setting in the afternoon. This kind of, we'll get back to this piece, but this kind of leads into something else that we've been wanting to do and get is a sewing machine. And we wish we learned how to sew before we left. And we still don't know how to sew, but I think at one point in our in our cruising career, we are going to learn because it will save you a lot of money. Yeah, so the things that have been holding us back from that is just our time, especially when we're doing boat work and stuff, and then the cost and the weight and the space that uh, a sewing machine, especially a big heavy-duty sewing machine that you need, uh, takes up. But what you can create from that sewing machine is just invaluable. Like, you can save so much money if you create your own shade and your own uh, Mac pack and your own, like, you know, stuff like that. And even a sail repair could pay off sail the repair, sewing machine sure. the first time you fix it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, just to have that to repair your own sails, and it's just, I mean, I think it's probably super valuable. All of our friends have them. I mean, we were just sitting in St. Martin, and everyone's stuck there right now, and they're, like, just knocking out all their sewing projects, and it would cost thousands of dollars to have these sewing projects done, especially in a place like Florida. And then the most popular sewing machine everyone has is, are these Sailrite sewing machines, and I heard they're really good. And there's some other good ones that I think are a little bit cheaper you can get on like Amazon and stuff like that. But Sailrite also has all the materials you need for good prices, and then they also have all the instructional videos and tutorials and stuff like that. Yeah, they make really, really good tutorials. So Even we, for someone who is not a sewer, I feel like I could learn because yeah. of them. And on top of all the shade and everything we were just talking about, also like a... Uh, um, mosquito netting or bug netting, you know, so you can sew all that as well. Yeah, and that's another thing. Bring as much, bring mosquito netting for every single hatch that you own. And not just mosquito netting, netting that is uh, fine, enough. fine enough so no CMs can't come in. Because in the Bahamas, in the summer months, like, the bugs come out and if you're trying to sleep and you don't have AC and you have to have ventilation, then the bugs are going to get you if you don't have that netting. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, we'll go back to the, sh the coolness. Sorry about the noise in the background. But anyway, um, fans. 12-volt fans on a boat are just amazing. Like, you should 
have Try as to have many a lot. as possible. And uh, specifically, we have had what? How do you call it? Camfrow, 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 yeah. Fans on all three boats. We have been in a situation where we knew we needed another fan and we got like a off-market one and we were not happy so if you have fans or if you want me to get more fans get those camera ones yeah they're not that they're not too bad i mean they are what are they like 60 bucks 70 yeah, bucks but i guess they are kind of expensive but they last a while like we've only had one or two burn down our whole cruising. and they warranty them they're really good and we literally ran the fans on the trailer like 24-7 because Billy was working, I was at school, so Jetty was on the boat a lot and the hatches were open, but the fans were always on and literally, like, they ran 24-7 for like two years. Yeah, so put two 12-volt fans in every single room, you know, of cabin of your boat, you know, two in the galley, two in each cabin. If you don't have AC. Yeah. yeah. All right. So this kind of goes back to, like, fixing things the right way. But uh, when you buy things for the boat or you're paying for something, anything, more expensive is not always the, the way to option. go. Yeah, the best option. Because you might think, like, all right, if you're going to replace this, just do it the right way and get the most expensive thing is probably the best, the most valuable thing or, or the best quality, right? And that can be true in a lot of cases. But like everything else on the boat, it's such a balance. You could just blow so much money going for the most expensive, like, best quality, quote, thing, you know, that you're replacing. Where, especially on older boats, like what we've always had, it's just a balance. You really got to dissect um, if it is worth the expense you know sometimes the just the medium of the line thing is is better you know for your situation do you have an example i have a good one i just thought of uh what's yours um so when we bought this boat it didn't have really any navigation uh any navigation setup and well yeah it had an old uh dragonfly unit yeah but super tiny Small and i think plot. the chips were out of date and, and it wasn't very detailed at all. Yeah. So we could have spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars getting a whole new setup, or we could have gone with what we did on the old boat and just used our iPad with Navionics. And it, how much is an iPad? Like 500 bucks, 500 maybe? bucks. Probably not even if you get the Wi-Fi version and plug a GPS into it. And I think our um, Navionics was like $50 for our plus membership yeah. and it has taken us to Nantucket It has taken us to Grenada everywhere in between and we have never had any issues knock on wood Knock on wood, but we love We love that. Yeah, people say don't use an iPad or like mobile device for uh, your primary navigation I, I don't know. I'm on the fence if I agree with that or not. It has been our primary navigation, but we always have backups. We have the unit that came with the boat as a hardwired backup. We have handheld. We have a handheld. And we have Navionics downloaded on both phones. On both phones. So we have plenty, and we have paper charts. Mm -hmm. So plenty of backups. So I think you really can use it as a primary navigation if you have backups. Like, you just gotta think... What happens if your charging cable breaks? What happens if you you know you can't charge the thing? What? Or if you're not and if it's not in a waterproof case and it gets wet, like so, something happened. You what get struck if, by lightning. Yeah. What if that goes down? Do you have backup? But we have been loving Navi. So that's a great example of where like the most expensive thing is definitely. I don't know. It's just a, a for us. It wasn't necessary. Yeah. I don't Come know on, you gotta have an example for that. You wrote it. All right. Well, how about in terms of sales? <laughs> so we spent a lot of money on sales a couple years ago. The most money we've ever spent on any boat. And I, the reason, so we got North Sales and they're, um, you know, they're, they're still Dacron sales, but they're the, like high quality Dacron, uh, radial cut, and uh, I think they have some sort of um, resin impregnation to help prevent stretch. I'm still, oh man. Such a tough call. It's another thing where I don't know if I'll necessarily agree that it Some was a waste of money. Some light here. <laughs> but, um, but I do think that you could really blow a lot of money on high-end sales that might not be as valuable for your boat. Like, especially for a boat that doesn't have so much speed or efficiency potential. I mean, the only thing you're going for then is quality. And then in that 
case, you don't really want, you know, like laminated sails that are meant for racing and stuff. On some boats, that may, might make sense if you really value speed and your boat has a speed potential to take advantage of those uh, high efficiency sails. But like, um, I think I think we did good on this boat. We went with higher end sails, but they're not laminated sails, and we're pretty much at the top end of like our speed potential for cruising on this boat. But anyway, uh, sails it's just another balance, um, and it all depends on your budget as well because. And this kind of leads into one of our next points, I guess, right? Budgeting. That's something that we've just been strictly budgeting relatively recent, this past year. And it has been a game changer for us in terms of, like, planning ahead and saving money and just prioritizing what we spend our money on. Yeah, and I think it all depends on what kind of journey you're on, how long you're doing this for. For us, like, we plan to do this for a very long time, but at the same time, we are working as we go, but it's it. we're in a place where you're on vacation. So we just have to remember that we are not on a permanent vacation, and I think this budgeting is helping. So, like... Well, yeah, well, what, what you're referring to is, like, especially when we meet people, every, like, most people who are doing what we're doing are either retired or they're on vacation. Yeah. So, so when we hang out with them, they're retired or on vacation. So they're, you know, they might go out to eat. Cruisers can be pretty good about saving money, but sometimes not. And, and yeah, you just can get pulled into the trap of spending a lot of money going out for drinks, going out to restaurants. Yeah, so a few months ago, we set, um, we set some really good budget budgets of how much we should be spending on groceries, how many times a week we're allowed to go out to eat, um, and all that kind of stuff. Because and that's a huge help. It's still important to us to go out to eat to restaurant the local restaurants and stuff we just got to you know be aware of and limit it you know so we do it once a week and we haven't even been doing it that much which is yeah, pretty no. good um and yeah because going out to eat it is important you get to meet people and living on a boat that's important you want to go meet people and you get to experience culture in new islands and it's important but for us we have to have a budget and we've been using mint.com and yeah. that's been really helpful mint.com yeah it's been working pretty good one other area it's been working great in is buying stuff for the boat so we kind of talked about boat work already and, and you know and buying stuff for the boat but you you could spend a ton of money just buying stuff for your boat and we, even we could and we're kind of aware we're on a budget and we don't have all the money in the world so when we come to a decision of should we get this for the boat or not like right now it's new chain i've been pulling up this chain by hand for the past pretty much a year because first our windlass broke and then when we got a new windlass we realized that the chain didn't fit because I don't know why the chain kind of fit in the old windlass, but it did. But the chain is not ISO spec'd, so it won't fit well into this new windlass. So it skips like every three links, so it just doesn't work. So we're like, well, we should really get new chain. Like it would make our life so much easier. Uh, you know, my life basically pulling yeah. up the chain, and you know, it could help. It'll help with resale of the boat because the next owner's gonna want to use that windlass. Um, but. It, it's a big expense relatively it's maybe 600 bucks or something and um we've just been looking at it month to month because there are other priorities of things we have to spend money on on this boat that might be more important especially when we can just get away with me pulling up uh the anchor by hand and and we i we have other options if i can't do that like say it's really stuck i can tie a um hitch i forget a rolling hitch on the chain and use like one of our winches to to help break it free or something like that if we really have to and you help me motor up the boat while i pull it up so we have options it's not like an unseaman like thing to do i don't think too much so anyway that's like one one thing and next month we'll i mean this month now we'll probably um when we get in a good spot we'll probably invest in chain yeah so how that works is at the end of every month we look and see if we we're under our budget, we're over it, or hit it right on. If there's In terms of, like, our boat supplies, repairs, maintenance category. Yeah, and if we're under and we have extra money to spend on that chain, then that's the time that we get to spend it. But before that, like, everybody has credit cards these days. It's so easy to just go buy something on a credit card, and then it's, like, you're it's costing you more money. So for us, we don't want to put it on the credit card unless we can pay it off right away. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing, like, and sometimes you do need to just you got to be able to, you know, get what you need 
to get it done and swipe that card and get it and that's how it was when i was rebuilding this engine like there were things i needed to rebuild this engine even as simple as like brake cleaner and stuff to clean the parts and stuff like that and i had to go to the store and just i had to get it, it was 20 you know it wasn't 20 but it was like 10 i don't know how i probably spent a total of like 20 or 30 bucks on brake cleaner or something but you know that was a necessity and um yeah we didn't want to blow through our budget just because we had gotten chain already or something not necessary another example could be like this the other shade that we want or the isinglass that we want like yeah it's a want it's not a need because we've been sailing for three years without it so it's fine but we'd like to have it and if we have enough money at the end of the month you know in our budget then we'll probably spend it on something like that so anyway yeah that takeaway from that is just prioritize and budget like budget all your expenses so that you can do this for however long you want to do it and then prioritize what you spend you know your money on exactly this goes back into the projects thing or, or the boat work thing so we just were on our friend ruby rose's podcast and we said something like um you know our advice to people who want to go sailing or something is to just you'll understand you'll never have every project done it'll your boat will never be completely finished so prioritize what your projects are and you'll always find more projects as you go along you'll always like you know like can of worms sometimes but just write it all down and it makes it so much easier to see and understand where you're at if you write it all down and, and write them in order well then prioritize yeah what what are they what is mission critical to get done for you to go sailing and what's kind of just a want a yeah so that's that. And then that prioritization of your projects and your boat work can also help you as you're buying things for the boat too. For example, like we were doing a lot of boat work this winter and I had bought a lot of things, you know, for our boat, for projects that we were gonna do on the boat. But like some of these projects were kind of a far ways out. And then, so now they still have been sitting on our boat. Just, it's kind of, it's just money sitting there basically um, for things I haven't gotten to yet, just because I guess the priority of that project was lower on the list. In reality, I should have just focused on getting the supplies I needed for the top priority projects, and then when I get to the other projects, then I can look at buying the parts for those projects. Um, I think it's with anyone. Like, you could go crazy buying all the parts and supplies you need for all the projects on your list, but you may not ever get to them, and that's just wasted money that's just sitting somewhere on your boat. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's a good one. Do you have anything else? Um, you want to talk about, like, when we do boat work, you you get on me about start stopping one project and starting another. So, I'm the kind of person where I really need to go to sleep with a clean boat, knowing that we can start the next day. Well, I mean, uh... Yeah, it, but that co it all comes into play. Okay. Start the next day, like, a good start, clean boat, let's start from the get-go. When Billy starts a project, he'll start it, and then he'll hit a roadblock. So then he'll say, hmm, I'm already in project mode, let me go start the next project. And then he'll get stuck there and say, hmm, okay, so now this also needs to be done, let me do this. And then we just have an explosion of projects on the boat, and that's okay, he's getting a lot done, but then we have to, like, go make a run to the store, and then come back, and then go back, so... So, <laughs> I, I, I think... I mean, look, I, at, at times I can get sidetracked and fall into a project that's not a priority. Um, but I think it's a good way how I do it because, like Sierra said, I'll, I'll start one of our high-priority projects and I'll get to a roadblock. I might need a certain drill bit or something or a certain hardware and I have to go to the store for it. And that can take over an hour because you like when we were in, in Florida dinghy, yeah. you have to take the dinghy to the dock get in the dock get out of the dinghy get to the car exactly and, and then you might have to go back to the hardware store for the next thing and if you forgot your keys then it's going to take even longer <laughs> right so instead of doing all that I'll just move on to the next project that's ready to go on our boat and and then that way when I need something for that project then I can get all things from the hardware store once a day rather than wasting hours a day just trying whatever so basically i agree like i like the way i do that i think it's efficient but i think you got to be careful because you can be working on a project and then see this other little project that needs to be done right next to it and then just kind of start tinkering with that and then you can you could really just 
Open a can of worms that cannot be closed. Well, yeah, but I mean in terms... You can just get sidetracked. Yeah, just keep tinkering and tinkering and getting into this project. And those aren't your high-priority object... Uh, high-priority projects. I think that's what you... The takeaway from this point. It's just stick to your priority of your projects. And if you hit a roadblock, that's all right. Move on to the next one, you know, if, if it's not going to distract you from that first one for too much. I think you asked me this point to see what I was going to... I think you were getting at... I'm really good at getting on you when you get strayed. I help you stay on mm, track. Yeah, you, no, but you... You still don't agree necessarily with how... I, you always question it, which I guess is fine, because knowing sometimes is fine. But no, it's true. I keep them on track. But you do you agree with how I do things when I hit a roadblock and then I move on to the next? You don't like it, but I think you realize it's the best. I agree if only thing. that project isn't going to cause you to not finish it, go back to the other project because go to the store to get a part for the first project, realize you forgot a part for the second project you started, and now you have to go back to the store twice more, well, then that wastes a lot of time. Yeah, that's a different <laughs> issue though. Oh, anyway. Um, I have one more. So, we, as we said, we've been living on boats for five years, but the past year and a half has really been the first time we've been traveling full-time, like, out of the country. Uh, out of the country, yeah. yes. And prior to that, we have had people tell us, like, oh, yeah, like, we go, um, for hurricane season, we put the boat up, go back to family, and I was like, oh, like, we don't need to do that. Like, we have plenty of stuff to do. But I realized this year that... 12 months away from family and friends is really, really hard. And just know that you should plan that. If you plan to go off and venture for extended periods of time, give yourself little buffers to maybe travel home or make sure family is coming to visit you. Yeah. That can get hard. So that the hard part for you is missing friends and family. I think the hard part for me, and it could be different for other people, but like, it, like Ruby Rose always talks about, like being on a boat full time is hard work. Even it doesn't always seem like it, but it is. And twelve months out, doing it twelve months out of the year is hard work. So they've always made sure they kind of take a season and do it season by season. And we've kind of always done it full time with little breaks here and there. Maybe we work here and there, but it was really full time this past year and a half. And our our breaks prior to that weren't even breaks. They were just we had. The but seasonal jobs or boat work? No, we were very, very lucky to have family in areas where we're doing boat work. So our break on the boat is doing a prod, like a big nasty project, and that family member letting us stay at the house. So that's our break. But just living in the house. Yeah. 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 I think it's something to consider. Look, I think that I think that you can be on the boat full time, twelve months out of the year. You know, a week somewhere else here, a week somewhere else there. But I would consider taking one or two months planned away from the boat. And it would probably help you appreciate being on the boat more as well. Yeah. yeah. And it'll help you, like, if you're kind of in a slump, it'll help you get back in the groove yeah. of doing what you got to do exactly. and going where you want to go. Re-energizes you, yep, totally. So I, I think this past year we just started really seeing the value in that, whereas in the past I would be like, nah, oh, we're yeah, full-time like, on yeah, the boat. Yeah, we're fine. Like, and they were the ones that said that to me, like, you're on the boat full-time, like, what, 12 months? <laughs> anyway, I hope this was valuable to you guys. Those are the things that we wish we knew when we started. I hope that can help you if you're thinking about getting onto a boat or if you currently live on a boat and you're like, oh, snap, that's a hack that I'm going to use forever. Yeah, something to think about. Or if you're just curious about what it is like to live on a boat full time and things, you know, we didn't know, but we wish we did know. We'll try to list uh, a lot of what we talked about in the show notes below, right? Can we do that? Uh, I think so, yeah. Thank you guys for listening, and we hope you enjoyed, and make sure you leave us a review. If you liked it, give us a little, I think you do stars. Not In YouTube, you do thumbs up. In podcasts, you do stars. So, so five stars is greatly appreciated, <laughs> but if you don't like it, or if you, you want us to take this in a different direction, just let us know your opinion in the review below. Yep, and thank you so much for watching. For listening. Oh, sorry. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. <laughs> Bye!